So the blurb for this service was written three months ago, at the end of September, when I had not even been here, for with, here with you all for a month. I felt a need to talk about time, explore a sacred text. I noted that this would be, quote, a love letter and a challenge. It will indeed be both. We will begin with the love letter. At the end of this chaotic time of this chaotic year, I believe we may need one. Beloveds, I will tell you a story. In February of 2017, I traveled to the Philippines, the literal other side of the world, the farthest I have ever traveled, to visit a former partner and a very close friend. I had just left a corporate job that I had been in for 15 years because I had just been accepted to Meadville Lombard Theological School to formally begin this path to ordained Unitarian Universalist ministry that has led to my presence here with you today. But this is not a love letter to my former partner, though I do care for him deeply still. It's not even a love letter to myself, scared and brave and bold as I was, deciding to uproot my entire life as I had known it to begin the work I felt called to do. In part, this is a love letter to a book. One day while I was in Manila, and just a few days before we were due to go to the beach for a brief stay, I decided to buy a book. I had many books with me on my Kindle, but on the beach I wanted to unplug entirely. I didn't want to worry about getting water and sand on my Kindle. I wanted to feel the weight of a paper book in my hands, the cover getting greasy from my fingers after I'd applied sunscreen, the sand gritting into the pages after the wind kicked up. The first thing I picked up when I walked into the bookstore was this book, Ruth Ozeki's A Tale for the Time Being. I bring it so you can see how colorful it was. It caught my eye right away. It was colorful, it was on sale, it was written by a woman, and when I flipped it open and saw the author biography, I read the line, Ruth Ozeki is a novelist, filmmaker, and Zen Buddhist priest. Okay, I'm intrigued. I told myself not to just buy the first book that I saw. I walked all over three floors of that bookstore, but in the end, I marched right back downstairs, picked up that book, and bought it. I devoured this book in the way I feel like I read the most important, exciting, interesting books, the ones you both want to rush through and never want to end. I read it wanting to know more and wanting to linger. I read it knowing that in some ways the gift of fiction is to take you deeply inside the lives of other people and that it's inevitable that comparisons will be made. Inside, books, inside that book were choices, Changes, chaos, and love, and complexity. It's very tempting to sit here and present a book report. It's almost impossible to explain what this book is about, but it's fun to try. I'm not going to tell you exactly what the book is about because it's about too many things. It's about being human. It's about being a time being. The dictionary definition of for the time being is for the present until some other arrangement is made. At the very beginning of the book, we learn that for several of our main characters, quote, a time being is someone who lives in time. And that means you and me and every one of us who is or was or ever will be. 
So this is a love letter to this book in large part because this book is a love letter to you and to me and to all of us. All of us time beings. A Tale for the Time Being opens with a quote from Zen master Ehi Dogen, founder of Zen's Soto School, from his work Treasury of the True Dharma Eye. The 11th chapter of the treasury is titled For the Time Being. For the time being, standing on the tallest mountaintop, for the time being, moving on the deepest ocean floor, for the time being, a demon with three heads and eight arms, for the time being, the golden 16-foot body of a Buddha, for the time being, a monk's staff or a master's fly swatter, for the time being, a pillar or a lantern, for the time being, any ordinary person, for the time being, the entire earth and the boundless sky. Every one of us who is, or was, or ever will be. We are mere days from the end of 2019. I've personally always felt a great deal of pressure at this time of year, to reflect on what has gone before, to plan for the future, to somehow make a coherent narrative of a complicated series of moments that we label a year, to spend time dissecting my own personal shortcomings in order to come up with a resolution. Why do we try to resolve so much at a time when our resolve is at its weakest? We're tired. We've been pulled in so many directions. We have tried to pay attention to friends, family, neighbors, strangers working extra hours at low-paying jobs. And all of it can feel, leave us feeling empty, hollowed. Why then carve any more into that hollow? To change it, all we must do is give ourselves the time to allow it to refill. The time. Where will I find the time? How can I make the time? What's the best use of my time? Where did the time go? What time do you have? Does anyone really know what time it is? Here is a part of the love letter of this book I'll share with you as a direct quote. Both life and death manifest in every moment of existence. Our human body appears and disappears moment by moment without cease, and this ceaseless arising and passing away is what we experience as time and being. They are not separate. They are one thing, and in even a fraction of a second, we have the opportunity to choose and to turn the course of our action either toward the attainment of truth or away from it, each instantly each instant is utterly critical to the whole world. No pressure, time beings. It might help to have a little context for this quote. It is written as part of a letter written by a Jap Japanese kamikaze pilot to his mother. The letter is found in a plastic bag next to a diary written by a teenage girl, which is also inside a plastic bag, and they're both inside a Hello Kitty lunchbox, which is wrapped in several layers of plastic. This package washes up on the shore of an island in British Columbia, arriving from Japan after the tsunami of 2011. 
This is only a small part of what the book is about, which is why I'm not spending too much time telling you what the book is about. <laughs> After reading that our young and terrified pilot has written how crucial each moment is, we next read, when I think of this, I am both cheered and saddened. Cheered at the thought of the many instants that arise and are available to do good in the world. Saddened by all the misspent moments that have piled on top of each other and led us to this war. Observing my own idiom, here's what's inside it. Spending time, like it's currency. Misspent moments. At the end of the year, I fear too often we're spending our time tallying our time on a balance sheet and finding ourselves wanting. We hollow ourselves out and do not allow us time to replenish. Fellow time beings, let us take a breath. Here, a brief sejura, a pause between the love letter and the challenge. This week I learned a heartbreaking story. Um, how many of you are familiar with the Christmas truce of 1914, World War I? You've probably heard the stories, the Allied soldiers and German soldiers on Christmas Eve heard each other singing carols, chose not to fight, uh, played soccer in no man's land, um, and they not only, um, they, lift their, they lifted their voices and songs together, not only singing traditional Christmas carols, but also the age-old favorite for New Year's celebrations, Old Lang Syne. And this week I learned that two years later, in November of 1916, at the end of one of the longest and deadliest battles of the war, the Battle of the Somme, there were young soldiers heard singing in the trenches. And this is what they sang. We're here because we're here because we're here because we're here. We're here, and I'm glad you're still with me, because it's time for the challenge. I don't think it has to stop being a love letter, because the two are not mutually exclusive. No one can love us or challenge us better than a fellow time being, after all. The modern American idiom of for the time being, again, carries the connotation that we are simply waiting, quote, until some other arrangement is made. But our tale, our love letter, our challenge as time beings is to learn with our full selves that there is no other arrangement. We are what we have. We are here because we're here. And we are enough. And yet, how many of us make New Year's resolutions? A show of hands if you, have, if you now or have ever made a New Year's resolution. <laughs> I know a lot of us get off, yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. most of us, right? Time and again, we're reminded that time beings are of and within time, that each moment is a new moment and is our full reality at the time, and that not doing a thing that we said we would do one time is not a judgment on us or a failure for all time. It is simply a moment. There will be another one now, and now, and now. In recent years, I've heard of a different practice for New Year. Um, 
How many of you have heard of setting an intention for the new year or have heard of it? If you've done it or if you've heard of setting an intention, picking a word that is your focus point for the new year? Yeah, I heard about that for the first time a few years ago. I have not made resolutions in years. Um, and truth be told, I was kind of skeptical of the intention thing for, at first, too. Um, the date of the start of the year, after all, is essentially arbitrary. <laughs> A promise that I make to myself or an intention that I set should not need to be tied to a specific day in the middle of the winter. I should be able to set goals or promises or intentions at any time. Then last New Year's Day, January 1st, 2019, I went for a walk. I go for a walk most days, honestly, but since it was the first day of a new year, I did have a certain expectation. Perhaps I would be given a sign, some indication of what my year would have in store. I took a walk on a path that leads about a mile north of my house on a small road near a horse farm. At one point, I saw a herd of bounding deer, and my heart leapt at the sight of them, thinking surely this was my sign. I can't say exactly what I thought a bunch of deer was portending for the new year, but it felt pastoral and lovely. As I turned the corner at the small road to start back down the long hill towards my house, I turned onto the shoulder of a much larger road with no sidewalk. A sizable shoulder, no sidewalk. I was absorbed in my own thoughts, listening to podcasts, earbuds jammed in my ears, and suddenly a car that was turning right stopped, and the woman driving rolled down her window, and I didn't notice any of this. I'm just walking. And she was calling out to me, and I finally realized she's calling, do you need a ride? And I was like, I snapped out of my reverie and I was like, what? <laughs> She's like, do you need a ride somewhere? Are you okay? Oh, 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 thank you. I thanked her so profusely. She didn't need to stop. She didn't know who I was. She had her own things to do. Thank you, I said. Thank you for asking. Happy New Year, she called, driving away. Happy New Year, I called, waving, my heart overflowing. I had been wrong about what my sign was. My phrase for the year became radical kindness. I'm not sure I always upheld it, but I've thought about her a lot. Many instants arise and are available to do good in the world. I'm going to return us briefly to the text to consider what we may do with our moments the teenage girl who wrote the diary, which we found in the Hello Kitty lunchbox along with the letters, is in this quote speaking of her great-grandmother, a Buddhist nun named Jiko. Old Jiko is super careful with her time. She does everything really, really slowly, even when she's just sitting on the veranda looking out at the dragonflies spinning lazily around the garden pond. She says she does everything really, really slowly in order to spread time out so she'll have more of it and live longer, and then she laughs, so you know she's telling a joke. How often do we actually savor time? The quality that allows us to live our lives as time beings. This is part of the work that I think that we're called to do at the end of the year. We look back. If we can be kind with ourselves, there's a gentleness to spending time with memory, good or bad. It may inspire us to make new moments, new memories, new instance, a different aim in mind. If each instance crucial to the whole world, why revisit old ones? Our minds, our hearts, and our bodies, they are muscle and flesh as well as thought, 
sense, and memory. The more we exercise a muscle, the easier it is to repeat the movement and the stronger we become. The challenge at this time of year is to sample memory, to taste of it. Is it sweet or bitter? And to re reflect upon how that flavor enhanced our lives. Even the bitter serves its purpose, has its place on the palate. And then we turn our minds to the future, the year to come. Let's return again for a moment to our young protagonist and her great-grandmother, this time on a beach near the temple where her grandmother lives, great-grandmother lives. It is different, Granny. The whole point of surfing is to stand on top of the wave, not underneath it. Surfer, wave, same thing. I don't know why I bother. That's just stupid, I said. A surfer's a person, a wave is a wave. How can they be the same? Jiko looked out across the ocean to where the water met the sky. A wave is born of deep conditions of the ocean, she said. A person is born of deep conditions of the world. A person pokes up from the world, rolls along like a wave, until it's time to sink down again. Up, down. Person, wave. She pointed to the steep cliffs along the shoreline. Chico, mountain, same thing. The mountain is tall and will live a long time. Jiko is small and will not live much longer. That's all. Like I said, this is pretty typical of the kind of conversation you have with my old Jiko. I never completely understand what she's saying, but I like that she tries to explain it to me anyway. It's nice of her. The motif of the wave exists throughout the book, not just in oceans, but in physics and quantum entanglement, what Einstein called spooky action at a distance. You, I shouldn't try to explain exactly what this book is about. <laughs> if our impulse, as we regard the future, is to immediately rush out to the ultimate conclusion, we're not just collapsing our own wave, our own quantum state. We're looking out, if we don't stop, we're looking at the heat death of the universe. It can be tempting when we try to look ahead at a huge chunk of time, a year or a whole lifetime, to become overwhelmed to feel unable to handle each crucial moment as it, be, as it comes because of the untold tens of millions of moments after that. The untold millions of moments behind us, the untold millions of moments before us, none of them change the moment we're in now. And now. And now. This is our arrangement. This is where we are in time and we can do no other. For every misspent moment that leads to war, there are also a thousand moments when we can make other choices. Many instants arise and are available to do good in the world. Each instant is critical because I am me and you are you and we are here. We're here because we're here. And that can be a hopeful promise as easily as it is a lamentation. You do not need to change the lyrics of Old Lang Syne if you sing it this week. All I ask is for you to care for your own time being and consider each moment as another chance to move toward truth, toward goodness, toward wholeness, toward presence. We share presence and time in our interconnected web.
And now we share again music. We're here because we're here. Together in this moment now, we breathe. And when our breath moves together in meditation or in song, we create a flow.